We're joined now by Trey Fitzgerald, former RSL executive, now doing some media work and some consulting and joining us for a few minutes. And Trey, I talked to you about doing this before the game started. I didn't know we'd be on here for a funeral. I thought we might be on here, you know, all fired up about a win. But what happened? I mean, how does that change? For 30 minutes, it was glorious. And then, ah, what? Yeah, I guess this is why the cliche of 2-0 being the most dangerous lead in soccer is uh, is not just a cliche. It's actually true. <laughs> um, yeah, RSL looked great last night, first 30 minutes. Um, Michael Chang, the only change from the loss in LAFC three days earlier. He was kind of a revelation, had an assist and a goal. Um, he's continued to be uh, a bright spot this year. Uh, Albert Rusnak getting that first goal. Um, RSL looked like it was cruising. It was 2 nothing. Uh, they were still creating other chances. Victor Vasquez, the former uh, Barcelona guy for uh, the Galaxy, scored a beautiful goal that I don't think Achoa or anybody else really could have done uh, much with. But uh, as the game wore on, the Galaxy kept getting, um, I guess you could say, invited back into the game. And, uh, you know, RSL, for I think the fourth time, uh, drops points at home from a winning position, blowing a one nothing or a 2 nothing lead and having very little to show for it. And, uh, and it was like a funeral in that post game with, with Albert and Rubio Rubin and, and head coach Freddie Juarez kind of searching for answers as to why this team cannot, I guess, step on the neck or whatever, um, you know, bromide you want to use to kind of kill off the opponent and kill off the game and, and secure three points at home. And now RSL halfway through its home schedule, on the year is going to have to figure out a way to make up those points on the road. And that is an extremely difficult proposition. If you look at the history of major league soccer, we're generally the best road team each year only wins six or seven games out of 17 away from home. So it's an uphill battle uh, with roughly two thirds of the season still left to go. But like I said, the majority of that two thirds, is is away from home and you know you see flashes of brilliance from from Rubio Rubin it seems like Rusnak is 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 kind of gotten out of his rut Demir Krylak always consistent but um you know this team just cannot figure out a way to uh to take that extra step to, to lock up those those three points and um it's concerning for everybody fans media, but most especially uh, the, the players in that locker room, uh, the coaches in the front office. Whenever I bring up a stat, Dunny flinches. He doesn't like stats. It's a free-flowing game. It's hard to look at stats and break stuff out and say, well, this is happening and it means this because there are so many things happening at the same time with 22 players in constant motion. But one stat that Dunny is really – he actually made me repeat it last night in a broadcast – RSL's given up 16 goals this year, four in the first half, 12 in the second half. Why defensively so many problems in that second half? Well, Bunny's an artist. We know this. <laughs> so, right. Um, you know, look, I think, that, I think that if you look at soccer worldwide, 
the majority of goals are scored in the second half and generally in the last 15 minutes because that's when one team is desperately trying to change the game and chase the game and get a point or three points and the other team's trying to hold on and you've got introduction of, of fresh legs and, and a bunch of risk taking and all that kind of stuff but the imbalance that you just pointed out is um, more significant than just the trend historically uh, not just in MLS but kind of worldwide whether it's international soccer, cups, tournaments, whatever. So I, I don't know the answer. I mean, I guess the, the short, obvious answer is just the team is wearing down, it's losing focus. And, you know, I can't sit here and say that Justin Glad is at fault because he's been excellent all year long. I think Marcelo Silva has been excellent all year long. Um, Beesler, Ruiz, and Everton – at the holding mid spots have been kind of rotated, but I think they've all had their, their moments of brilliance. And maybe that little bit of inconsistency, the lineup rotation there uh, could explain it, but it it really doesn't. Um, You know, Aaron Herrera has been good. Brody and Toya, like Ochoa has been brilliant in most situations. So it's, Again, I, I'm sitting here kind of like the guys last night searching for answers because nothing on its surface makes obvious sense other than in each of these last, what, four home games now, they've found a way, um, not including the one nothing, you know, LAFC loss where I think they dominated the game for 70 minutes, had nothing to show for it, and then got – run off the field in the last 20. I mean, LAFC looked like the team that, that, that was not affected by the altitude in that particular game. Now, RSL didn't have the lead that they had against San Jose, Minnesota, uh, and certainly last night, LA Galaxy. And I think uh, there was a fourth game that I'm kind of blanking on where they blew a one nothing lead. So it's just massive frustration, and I think – you know, there's not one particular area to blame. It's a it's a collective, and that's that gets back to Dunny's point about stats and and soccer is that it is 11 guys in constant motion. The second half, you're seeing substitutions, and and I know there are people that are very critical of of Freddie's substitution patterns, and I guess I would have to go back and look to see if I think that's really justified or not but you know I think people want to see like last night Johnny Menendez the new winger from Argentina was on the bench for the first time so people wanted to see him instead of Justin Miram but Justin Miram came on and he was excellent going forward and almost created that that goal from from Rubio or sorry from Julio um, in stoppage that, that could have snagged those three points uh, Bobby Wood, we've not seen for long, long stretches. Um, I know talking to Dunny and, and others, people would love to see Rubio Rubin and Bobby Wood play together. But, you know, this gets into something I know you guys talk a lot about during the NBA season. You've got games every three days. You don't get a lot of time in practice to kind of play with tactics or play with uh, combinations. And now we're getting into the part of the schedule where literally RSL, I think, has six games in 22 days 
and is going to have three games in eight days more often than not over the next eight, ten weeks. Yeah, it's three games in eight days with Colorado on the weekend. And like RSL, they were picked to be not good. And while RSL, with a lot of home games up front, is kind of floating around the middle of the Western Conference, Colorado is battling for home field advantage. And, and we're still not halfway through the year, but they position themselves to battle for home field advantage. It's fireworks after the game. And why might this be different? Aside from the fireworks, obviously. Well, you know, the, there is a Rocky Mountain Cup rivalry. Uh, Colorado's head coach is, is a guy who spent a lot of time here at RSL in the glory days, and Robin Fraser. Uh, it's Robin's second head coaching stint. He kind of had a failed stint at Chivas, which I think is completely unfair to pin on him. That was a crumbling organization around him. Uh, when he left RSL, I think in 2000 and. 13, maybe? No, earlier than that. 11, he was the highest paid assistant coach in the league. Uh, he spent a lot of time up in Toronto with, with Craig Vanny during their heyday. So, you know, Robin's won everywhere he's been. Uh, he's seen it done a lot of different ways. He's seen it done in a small market on a low budget, and he's seen it done, uh, you know, obviously in Toronto as a player in L.A., uh, when his club was probably spending more than anybody else. So what he's done is he's gone into Colorado, gotten everybody on the same page, and made them believe. And they are not spending significantly more on their payroll than RSL or, or really anybody else, but they're getting results uh, for the first time in what seems like forever. Now, I think you can kind of throw all that stuff out the window because you've got to – a desperate RSL team in front of what's probably going to be a capacity crowd, a fireworks crowd, as you mentioned, and Colorado wants to come in and try to kind of reestablish itself just in its rivalry with RSL because I think RSL's won 10 of the last 13 or 11 of the last 14 Rocky Mountain Cups. Uh, technically should have won the Rocky Mountain Cup, the series between the two teams last year, but because of COVID and the bubble like one of the games didn't count so you know i think we can give 2020 an asterisk for for a million different reasons but um you know it's going to be interesting to see what we what what rsl comes out and i think for most of those guys it probably doesn't matter what colorado does how they set up who they start uh what they're trying to do now the one thing about colorado is rsl has zero altitude advantage, um, obviously, against Colorado, so uh, that they have against uh, most other teams. But RSL is kind of, I think, feeling like a, uh, a rabid animal kind of backed into a corner searching for answers. And, um, and hopefully they come out Saturday night kind of fighting with that, with that kind of attitude that it's, it's three points or bust, and it doesn't matter how they get it, whether it's ugly whether it's pretty, whether it's a ton of goals, or, or locking it down and getting that, that pretty elusive uh, clean sheet that the defense has not gotten, I think, except maybe once this year. So what's the update on selling the team? Is, uh, is there a sale on the horizon now that Orlando and uh, Houston have been sold? I think you know that's the order uh, based on, I think, reading the tea leaves and, and hearing – uh, things out of New York earlier this year is that is that uh, Commissioner Garber and, and the board wanted Orlando and Houston to get settled first. 
uh, for various reasons, primarily market size. Um, RSL obviously still has incredible infrastructure and uh, relevance here, big fish in a small pond. Um, Don Garber has repeatedly said that he expects that sale to happen by the end of the year. I think about a month ago, there were published reports that 10 to 12 different entities were kind of kicking the tires on everything here with the club, the stadium, the training facility in Harriman, uh, the option for an NWSL team. Uh, the league during that time has kind of announced that most of its USL teams, like the Real Monarchs, will play in a in a in an MLS sanctioned uh, third division uh, to kind of maintain that I guess developmental piece in the pyramid. But who knows who is interested? Uh, you know, a lot of people have been kicking the tires. It's an interesting time, I think, to spend. 400 million on a, on a pro sports team. I think, you know, from an entry point in the grand scheme of things, it's probably low. Um, if you're looking at becoming a, a, a pro sports owner, um, you know, MLS values have obviously gone up a um, hundred times, 50 times, I guess, over the last 17 years since, since Dave check, it's brought um, Real Salt Lake and Major League Soccer to Utah. Uh, David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, just paid 325 alone for the expansion fee in Charlotte. And you look at Charlotte and St. Louis and what Cincinnati has done often recently to, to kind of get into the league, to build a stadium. I think 400, 400 million is a bargain. <laughs> It's, it sounds kind of insane to say, but when you know when you look at NBA franchise values, uh, baseball, football, hockey, etc., and those TV and media rights deals, everything surrounding uh, those leagues, I think 400 million to be one of 30 teams in Major League Soccer, one that already has the established facilities, the established fan base here. Um, when you look at what you expect to happen with um, the MLS television deal that comes up at the end of next year. You look at the World Cup being here in the United States in 2026. I think those are things that if, if you're somebody that is looking at the Utah economy and looking at the, the state of soccer in the U.S. and Canada, you know, Salt Lake City has the best TV ratings for uh, the U.S. games in the Gold Cup. It has phenomenal TV ratings for the Euro. So there's clearly an appetite and an understanding here for soccer that indexes higher than just about anywhere else in the country. Um, you look at, I think, other factors like I referenced with you know the housing market here in Utah, the economy here in Utah. I, I think it'd be a no-brainer. It's it's just who is going to be that person that steps up and and writes the check that the league wants and, and claims that its franchises are worth. And uh, as you mentioned, Orlando went for, for 450 and that included the stadium and a training facility and, and a women's team. Houston, um, which is, you know, top five market in the U.S., went for 400 and that did not include the stadium. And unfortunately, I'm no financier, so I can't tell you kind of what the role of debt obligations and some of those other things play in all this because I guess there's probably certain people in the world that if you're carrying 
you know, a couple hundred million dollars of debt, like Houston is rumored to have been, you know, that's a, that's a, a an attractive tax write-off. But again, I'm getting out of my depth on some of that economic um, supposition. <laughs> so uh, I just have to go back to Commissioner Garber's comments that he expects the club, this club, to sell by the end of the year. And hopefully we see that happen because... I think there's there's a lot of good people over there that have done a lot of good work to get that stadium back filled in a post-COVID or a, I guess we can't probably say we're post-COVID yet, but we're close, hopefully, if, if things keep going in the right direction. And, you know, I think when you look at what Elliot Fall and Tony Beltran and Rob Zarkos have done to kind of bring in the Bobby Woods, the Johnny Menendez, the Tony Dakoviches, the Rubio Rubines of the world – um, you know, look look at that roster. Look at the top, I don't know, 15 or 16 players and who has not lived up to expectations for 2021 season. And I think you're hard-pressed to say that any individual, you know, Albert took a lot of a lot of stick early on in the year, but I, I think he's he's done a lot of the little things that have helped bring him out of his rut. You know, people are going to judge him by goals and assists, and that's – somewhat fair based on his salary and his role and his wearing the captain's armband. But, you know, so I think when you look at all the pieces individually, you say, yeah, he's done well, he's done well, he's exceeded expectations, blah, blah, blah. But collectively, they're not getting it done. And, um, you know, I think Freddie has tried to be more transparent this year than in years past with his thought processes, his options, his you know, the circumstances that, that face him when evaluating the club. And I applaud him for that. But uh, that whole that whole coaching staff, and, and besides Freddie, everybody else is new. So Pablo Mastroeni is new. Uh, Matt Taylor is new. Nacho is new. Um, I think they're, they're trying to figure out what's going on and why they can't quite get around that final corner. Well, Trey, I want you to come back on the show when you're a billionaire and you can explain all the uh, <laughs> debt financing. Until then, dang it, don't come here with half I, answers. Yeah, I would love to come back. As I would a love billionaire, that to be I bet situation. you would. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'd even come on your show every day. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be buying a golf course every day, is what you'd be doing. Uh, not one a day, <laughs> okay. one a week. <laughs> All right, Trey, hit him straight. Right. We appreciate a few Thanks minutes. Thanks a lot.